Maybe not. I'm thankful for a Christian mom. How many of y'all had a Christian mom and, and you're thankful for your Christian mom that put you on the path that leads you back to Him? Um, you know, I'm so thankful that I had a, a Christian mother who saw the importance of making sure that I was learning about Jesus. She was making sure that I was in church on Sunday morning. And moms, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing more important than that. It's the single greatest thing that you can do for your children is to train them in the ways of the Lord uh, according to His Word. It is the absolute most important thing you can do for your child because being a mom is hard. Can I get an amen to that? It's, uh, I mean, I'm assuming. It seems like it is. Not that I know for sure, but just standing from a distance and, and watching, it's, it's really, really difficult. And being a mom, you know, you think back to the time before you became a mom, and now you are a mom, you, your life just completely changes. And um, Mike, I'm getting some feedback on, on my mic. It might be in the monitors, I don't know, but see if that maybe is the case. But being a mom changes uh, absolutely everything. And in my uh, time in ministry, I have uh, noticed that not only uh, do, do um, becoming a does becoming a parent change everything, the way we parent has changed over the years. Would you agree with me on that? Things are a little different now than they used to be, you know, and uh, it also changes with each baby. So you might be the same kind of parent, but then as each child comes along, maybe you do those things a little bit differently. And here are some ways that maybe um, some things have changed from the first baby to the second baby to the third baby. And then for some of y'all, bless your hearts, uh, more than that. Uh, for example, your, your clothes, what you do with your clothes, that changes. First baby, moms, first, you know, when, when you find out you're pregnant, the very first moment you find out you're pregnant, you are trying on your maternity clothes then. The moment the doctor confirms that you are pregnant, you start wearing your maternity clothes then. And then the second baby, you wear your regular clothes as long as you possibly can, right? And then you only wear the maternity clothes when you have to. Third baby... Your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. Are you, am I right about that? Just speaking truth here, trying to, trying to help you all out. As you prepare for birth, right, things change a little bit. First baby, you practice your breathing religiously. Remember, you go, you go take the, you learn how to breathe. You think of your happy place, you know, and you don't practice breathing uh, on the second one because you've already got it figured out, and you remember last time it really didn't do a thing anyway. Uh, the, the third baby, third baby, you're asking for an epidural by the eighth month, right? You, you just kind of forget about it. The baby's clothing. Right? First baby, you get your newborn's clothes, you pre-wash everything, you color coordinate them, you know, you fold them as neatly as you possibly can, put them in a little baby dresser. Second baby, you check to make sure that the clothes are clean and you only discard the ones that are stained too badly, right? And then the third baby comes along, boys can wear pink, right? Uh, that's kind of what we do sometimes, you worry at the first time of distress, first baby, little whimper, just a little whimper, a little frown, you pick up the baby, you love on them, you make sure that they're okay, second baby, you pick them up only when their screams threaten to wake up their sibling, right, and then the third baby, you teach your three-year-old how to crank the swing so that they can just take care of it. 
pacifier. Now, this is truth right here. I know I'm not a mom, but this is true. This is a dad thing, too. Pacifier falls on the floor. You put it away till you get home. You can boil it and wash it off, and then they can have it again, right? Second baby, pacifier falls on the floor. Just take some juice from their bottle and kind of clean it off that way. Third baby, wipe it off on your shirt, plop it back in, right? <laughs> Diapers. Diapers. You change your baby's diaper every hour whether they need it or not. Second baby, you change the diaper every two to three hours if needed. Third baby, you try to change the diaper before others start to complain about the smell. Or you see the diaper hanging to his knees, right? You know, uh, eight to ten pounds on the box there. Yep, that's all they can hold, right? That's, that's, what, that, that's not what that means, guys, just for those of you. When you go out, Right? If you go out after the baby's born, first time with a sitter, what you're calling, you're texting every time you turn around, right? Uh, second baby, before you walk out the door, you think, oh, I probably ought to give him my cell phone number. Third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if you see blood. That's the only, only reason. Anybody relate to this? Okay? Am, am, am I preaching to the choir here? Everybody with me on this? Okay. So, just making sure we're on the same page. Um, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I, I think we've said that already, but we love you so much. We hope this is a special day for you. Um, happy Mother's Day to you grandmothers, too. A lot of times we just say moms, but grandmothers as well. You are special indeed. Uh, in fact, I heard a story about a, a little boy. He was in the back seat of the car on his way home from church, and, and uh He's with his family, and the mother said, so who was your teacher today? And the little boy says back to his mother, says, I don't really know her name, but I think that it must have been Jesus' grandmother. Mom said, why do you say it was Jesus' grandmother? The little boy said, all she did was talk about him the whole time. <laughs> so, um, grandmas, can you relate? Yeah. Uh, I want to share a story with you today uh, on this Mother's Day. It's not your traditional Mother's Day story, probably, not your traditional Mother's Day sermon, but as we continue with our series, Lessons from the Desert, uh, it's my prayer that what we talk about today can, can speak to you in, in ways that you can apply uh, to your life, not just women, but men as well. It's a story from the Old Testament found in Genesis chapter 16, so let's go there and check out this very uh, interesting story. This story is probably something more like what you would see a storyline on daytime TV, to be honest. Uh, it might be a little bit even kind of PG-13, if you will. So uh, follow along with me. Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife. Now when I say Sarai and Abram, I, I think... I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence here this morning, but that's Sarah and Abraham before God changed their names, okay? So Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. That's the daytime TV part. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she was pregnant, she, meaning Sarai, began to despise her mistress. And then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. 
I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. This is Sarai talking to Abram. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you'll give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Now, I'll stop right here and just point out. We were having this discussion this week about this. This is the only point in scripture where someone else names God. Right? She gave this name to the Lord, El Roy, E-L-R-O-I, El Roy. You are the God who sees me. El Roy means the God who sees. It's the only time in Scripture where a person gives God a name. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. For she said, I have now seen him, the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So while this is a, a, a Mother's Day sermon, so, so to speak, I, I feel like we have to deal with Abram and Sarai for just a, a little while here this morning. Um, as I said a moment ago, God changed his name to Abraham and her name to Sarah. And so here, here's Abram. He's following God by faith. He's, doing all, he's trying to do all the things that he can possibly do right. Up to this point, he's left his homeland. He's left his family behind. He's trusted God through all the battles, through all the trials that probably most of us would have turned around and gone the other way with. Abram stuck with God. right? He had, a, he had enough faith to endure, yet for all of his faith and all of his good deeds, Abram was still a man. He was still human. He was still fleshly. And he still had this pull within him toward the things that were not of God, the things toward the world, towards disbelief. And so we know this passage is about Sarah and Abram trying to help God give them a son, right? That's basically what it's about. Basically, Abram and Sarah... Uh, Sarai are saying, all right, God, I know you've given us this promise, but we're going to help you out a little bit. And so they, they have this plan. Sarai has this plan to give her maidservant, uh, her slave Hagar, as, as the wife of, of Abram. And, and of course, this was never God's will for their lives. This was not what God told them to do. But as it is with a lot of us, as it was in this case, and as it is with a lot of us, they ran headlong into fulfilling the plan themselves, trying to nudge things in place instead of letting God come through with his promise. They became impatient, and so they made this decision, and their decision brought with it some consequences, not only for them of that day, but for all of us who are sitting here in 
the church today, it had consequences for us as well because all of those descendants of Hagar and uh, uh, Abram are those who are of the Arab nation now, right? And so that one decision that Sarai and Abram made to have a baby through Hagar has, has caused problems for years. Our sin has consequences, and we need to understand that. Now, before we get to that point, we'll circle back around to that in just a little bit, but I want you to understand there are some reasons for the, the situation that they're in. Here's the deal. Uh, there, the, I've only got three today. I'm, I'm sure there are more reasons. If we ever get the opportunity to sit down and talk to Abraham and Sarah when we get to heaven, I'm sure if, if they want to talk about it, I'm pretty sure they're they probably don't, but, but if they did, and, and, and we were to ask them, hey, what were you thinking? I'm sure there's a ton of reasons they could say, but here's three that I think scripture points out to us, okay? The first is this. They wanted to be accepted. Um, Abram and Sarai, they just wanted to fit in, right? Uh, during that time in the world, if a couple could not have a child, everyone looked at them as a disgrace, right? I'm sure people would look at them funny. They might be thinking, what's wrong with these two people? They might be saying, I wonder what they must have done to tick off the gods that they would make them childless. This is probably some of the things that people around them are saying. Now, I know that some people today, they choose this path for themselves to have no children. That's okay. Some are physically not able to have children, and I know that's difficult, and I know that, that, that that's a, today is a really tough day for a lot of people because of that, and my heart aches for, for people who are trying to have children and can't. But in that day, it was an absolute disgrace to not have children. In Abram's day, regardless of the reasons behind it, if a couple had no children... They were mocked, they were looked down upon, and they were largely not accepted in society, right? This was a society that thought nothing about multiple marriages, okay? If a man like Abram were to take uh, Hagar as a, as a concubine for, or, or a secondary wife, no one would have thought anything about it because that was pretty much the norm during that time. And if, if that concubine, that maidservant, uh, was to have a child, it would be considered the child of the first wife. So if Sarai had this, allowed this to happen, then she would be considered the mother, and then she would get the child that she desired, and then she could be accepted into the community. I think that one of the main struggles that they were facing, and I think one of the main struggles that we face today as Christians is that we are often guilty of lowering our standards to those of the community around us just so we can fit in better. We, we start to desire things for our homes, or we start to desire things for our children because we see what other moms or other dads or other families have gotten. So we start to desire things and we go into debt and we buy things and, and, and do things that, that, that we wouldn't just because we want to fit in. And then we start lowering our standards from a moral standpoint. And we start, allow, we start slipping a little bit or loosening the grip a little bit and allow children to do things that, that we know aren't the best for our children to do. But we really want our family to fit in. And so I think one of the main struggles that 
we as individuals and as parents and, and everyone who calls themselves a Christian, we want to fit in better. And so we're tempted to lower our standard. Moms, dads, everyone, if this was a struggle for you, I want you to hear me on this. It is more important to please God and be rejected by men than it is to please men and be rejected by God. And I know that is a, that's an old saying. It sounds like a cliche, but it is so true. We have to stop caving in to a world that says this is okay and that's okay. And it really doesn't matter. God loves you. Just do what you want to do. We're afraid of being labeled a weirdo, right? We're, we're afraid of being labeled a fanatic. And it's, it's really sad to see the number of Christian families that feel like they have to cave to the pressure just to, just to fit in. I feel many churches fall into this trap as well. Many are willing to compromise clear mandates from God in hopes of fitting in, in hopes of drawing a crowd fudging on some things that God clearly says, now this is what you do. And we can never fall into this trap as individuals. We can't fall into this trap as, as a church. I know Paul said, I've become all things to all people so that some might be saved, but he never compromised the gospel. He never compromised the truth. He never lowered God's standard just to attract people. Now here's the second reason for Abram and Sarah's situation. They're carrying a lot of baggage with them. They had a past. The Bible tells us that Hagar was an Egyptian. She's part of the possessions that Abraham or that Abram brought back with him on his journey uh, into uh, to Egypt. Remember that sinful journey that the Bible talks about? And had he never gone into that country, had he never gone off on that sinful trip, then there probably wouldn't be any Hagar in the first place. So he made that bad decision. He brings Hagar back with him as a slave girl, and he's still reaping the harvest of that um, decision that, that he made and the sin that he sowed in Egypt. So here's Here's the deal. Why is this important for us? This is something you need to remember as well. I feel like there's a lot of things that, that fit for all of us this morning. And one of the things that I think we need to understand is this. Sin always leaves a mark. There are always consequences and there is always damage when we sin. We might not see it at the time. Or we might be like Moses, remember we talked about last week, and Moses murdered the Egyptian, and he thought, well, nobody saw it, no big deal, I got by with it, right? But sin always leaves a mark, and even if you think nobody knows what your sin is, God sees what you're doing. Remember, uh, Hagar told God, you're the God who sees, God sees everything. And you might think, well, you know what, I'm, I, it's not a big deal, got by with it that time, nobody knows. And I want to tell you, the damage that's being done might not happen at the time. We might think it's a secret, but God sees. There's always some reminder, there's always some evidence that, that you were there, that you committed that sin. It's the, it's, the, uh, it's the principle of sowing and reaping, right? You're going to reap what you sow. If you sow sin, you're going to reap a bad harvest. If you do some bad stuff, there's going to be some bad stuff that comes along in your life. And this is what happened to Abram in the story. And we need to, we need to really uh, wrestle with that. We need to understand that our sin has consequences. And then the third reason is they were doubting God's promises. Genesis 15, 1 through 6 tells the story of God's promise to Abram. God gave Abram this incredible promise. 
And when the promise was given, Abram, he reacts in faith. But as time goes by, he starts to doubt. I don't know. He got impatient, right? God made him this promise. And he's like, well, I don't know, God, did you really mean that? And he, along with Sarai, they decide that God needs a little help. Have you ever done this? Is it just me? Where, where, where you know that, that it, it's a promise from God, it's something that God wants you to do, it's scripture, you read it in his word, and you cling to that promise, and you're holding on to that promise, but then you think, you know what, God needs a little help, he's not acting quickly enough, right? We do this, we think God needs a little help. I'm sure Abram is thinking, you know what, yeah, I know God said that he was going to give me a son, But he didn't say by whom, right? He didn't say that. I am under the impression, it's my conviction that doubt towards the word of God and, and, and doubt toward the promises of God, those things cause far more trouble in our lives than possibly any other single thing. When we start to doubt what God has told us, when we start to doubt his word, we start to doubt his promises, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. And that's when we think, well, man, i got to make it happen myself. God always keeps his promise, church. He always keeps his word. God is a God of order. God does not run on our schedule. That's the problem. God is not bound by time. We are, right? And so we want things to happen quickly in our time. Look at the story of Jesus. How long did mankind need a savior? 4,000 years, pretty much, before he came. God sent him, as scripture says, in the fullness of time, in his time, Galatians 4.4. See, here's the deal. God doesn't need our help to accomplish his will. Sometimes we feel like we have to nudge a few things in place for his will to be accomplished in our lives. There's an old saying that a lot of people like to throw around that's not in the Bible that a lot of people think that it is, God helps those who help themselves, right? That's not in the Bible. But Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote in a song one time, are we helping out or are we just getting in the way? See, we feel like we have to nudge some things around. This is what happened in the case of Abram and Sarai. And how do you suppose they reacted to the situation? Here's three reactions. All three, all three participants in this fiasco, they reacted differently and all of them acted poorly, right? So let's take a look at those, right? By the way, uh, when sin and its problems or any problem from any source for that matter, when those things arrive in our lives, most of you in this room will react to that problem or that situation in one of these three ways. There are other ways, but for the most part, this is how each of us will react to those problems, right? First, Abram reacted by being unaccountable. When you look at verse 6, Abram tried to pretend that there was no problem at all, right? And that if there was a problem, then, well, let her take care of it, okay? He totally ignored his responsibility in the situation, And many people, that's how we do it. We try to deal with our situations. We try to deal with our problems in that way. We just ignore them. If we ignore them, hopefully they're going to go away. This is never going to work if if you're doing this. 
Because here's what happens. When we leave our problems unsettled, usually our little problems start to grow into big problems, and it doesn't take it long for it to get there. Right? So whether it be a problem at home, whether it's a problem on the job, whether it's a problem in, in the community, whether it's a problem at school or in church, it's got to be confronted, it's got to be dealt with, or it's going to get out of hand. Just ask, just ask Abram, and I'm sure you all probably have your own testimonies to that as well. Here's the second reaction. Sarai, she reacted by being unreasonable. If you look at verse 5, Sarai was miserable. Um, she had this... Uh, this pride and this haughtiness that she was dealing with through Hagar. Hagar was just walking around like, you know, kind of like, haha, I'm pregnant. You're not. She's probably posting pictures of her baby bump on Instagram. And, she, you know, she's, she's doing this. And she's just really starting to get under her skin. And so what does she do? She, she starts to blame Abram for the problem, right? It, it's not my fault. It's, it's, it's his fault. Right? And then she starts to blame Hagar. Okay, it's not, it's, it's his fault, it's his fault. And then she even drags God into the situation and blames him. She's, she's ticked. Right? She's on the defensive. She is not happy. Would you all finish this sentence for me? If mama ain't happy, this was Sarah. Right? This is what was happening in her life. I probably shouldn't say that on Mother's Day, right? But, but, but uh, uh, it's, it's, in this case, it's true. And there are a lot of people who approach their problems in life this way. They have a similar attitude like this. If I'm unhappy, then I'm going to make sure the person I'm around is unhappy. Have you ever been around people like that? They're going through a difficult time and they're not happy. They want everybody else around them to be unhappy as well. They're not happy unless someone else is unhappy. And so they get grouchy and they get mean-spirited. They get short-tempered. They become hard to get along with. And I know... This is already known, probably doesn't need to be said, but that's not a real Christ-like response. That is far from what Jesus wants of us in our attitudes. He would have us to handle the problems of life without attacking other people or attempting to make them as miserable as they are. Misery loves company is not in the Bible either, but that's what a lot of people like to do when they're in a situation. Now look at how Hagar reacted. Verses 6 through 9 tell us that Hagar reacted by being unavailable. Hagar decided that the answer to her problems was to run as far away from them as possible. She's packed up and left. Couldn't get away from the problem, couldn't handle it, just didn't want to deal with it. And this is, this is what prob this is probably the most common response in our society. When problems arise at the church, many don't seek a solution. They seek a new church. When problems arise on the job, they don't fix it. They start looking for a new job. Problems crop up in a marriage. They don't work it out. Just find themselves a new man. I want to call your attention to something I think is very important that sometimes I think is overlooked in this story. This mom that was, was really, really struggling with this whole situation, God sent her back to her clan. And I think he did this for several reasons. But I think among them is the fact that God wanted to use this situation to help each of these people in the story to learn to face their problems his way. 
Abram had to face it, right? He was the leader. He didn't have to do what his wife said. His wife said, hey, I want you to sleep with Hagar. No, I'm not going to do that. That's what he should have said, only not in a dumb man voice. He should have said, you know, he should have said, no, that's not right. I can't do this against my God. This isn't right, you know? Sarai had to deal with it. Hagar had to live with it. And someone needs, someone probably needs to hear this today, and I want you to listen to me. God's business is not to make you happy. He wants to make you holy. And forcing you to face your problems is one of the ways that he accomplishes this. Right? You say, okay, great, great story. Happy Mother's Day, Ron. Thanks. This is awesome. Right? How did it all work out? What are the results of this story of this mom in the desert with her son? And Abram and Sarai. What can we learn? Three results of situation. One, they had a very difficult son. Ishmael. Very difficult son. The Bible specifically calls him, as I said a little bit ago, a wild donkey of a man. In fact, that, that reminds me of a dream that I had the other night. Um, I, dream, <laughs> I dreamed that I died. I didn't know you could do that. I'd heard that you couldn't dream that you'd die. Um, but I dreamed that I died. And I'm on my way to heaven, and I didn't know this, but on the way to heaven, there's a large hill that you have to climb up, a mountain that you have to climb up to, to get to heaven. And so I, I start climbing up the mountain in this dream, and I am just doing my best, but it's a big old mountain, and I know, you know, I'm, I'm in better shape now than I used to be, but I got, about halfway up, I got exhausted, I wore out, I just sit down and take a rest, and I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to, you know, rebuild my strength, and all of a sudden, here comes Kendall walking up the hill behind me, and he's just, and he stops, he goes, Ron, what's wrong? And I said, I'm tired, I'm wearing, I don't know if I can make it. He goes, hop on my back, I'll carry you to the pearly gates. I'm like, okay. And so I hop on Kendall's back, and he carries me up the mountain the rest of the way to the pearly gates, and we get there, and there's St. Peter at the pearly gates, and, and he goes, hello, Ron, come on in, but you're going to have to leave your donkey outside. <laughs> True story. Has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it needed right there. We just needed that. I, here's the deal. I have witnessed parents who have their own wild donkeys of children, so to speak. Moms, don't say amen right now, if they're, especially if they're in here with you, right? But there are some parents, some moms who feel as though, again, they need to lower our standard. Let's not discipline them. Give them what they want. Calm them down. This never works out well. <laughs> and if you find yourself in this situation, please understand lowering your standards and lowering the discipline that needs to be instilled doesn't work. Kids need discipline and they need these standards. And when we follow Ishmael's life, we see that he would be one difficult donkey of a man to handle. He would be aggressive towards other people. And I think that he represents the difficulties that arise when sin is allowed to divert us from God's path for our lives and for our children's path. When we, when we don't instill those godly principles, 
into our children's lives and give them that discipline uh, and that training. Um, and then we're going to have difficult situations. And I, and I think if you're dealing with sin in your life today, you need to ask yourself, what is it that the sin in my life, what is it that it might give birth to at some point? All right, because that's what we're seeing here in this story. Here are the, the, here's the next result. The sin in Abram and Sarah's, Sarai's life gave birth to a dysfunctional family that was burdened. If you look at um, chapter 21, verses 9 through 11, as Ishmael grew, the, the, all the tension around him grew as well. Um, and, and the sin of Abram and Sarai, even after many years, um, it, it brought heartache, it brought trouble. And, and I would just remind you that if, if, you're, if you're sitting out there and, and your sins, no matter how small or insignificant you think that they might be, um, they always affect more than just you. There, there, are, there will be consequences in your life, but there's also a lot of collateral damage that sometimes we might not see. They can poison your spirit. They can sabotage your family. They can hinder your walk with God. And I know a lot of families that are burdened by the so-called hidden sins of those in a family. And I believe that the Bible teaches that when there is sin in someone's life, that that sin cannot live if it's brought out of the darkness into the light. It has to fade in the marvelous light of the glory of God. You need to deal with those sins that are in your life. If you're struggling with something right now, maybe it's something that nobody else even knows about. Something just you think is, is not even all that big a deal. You need to bring it into the light. And let God deal with it. Maybe even call someone that, that can be a good accountability partner for you, that can pray with you and help you. But here's the final result of this whole situation. We, we read this story that's, that's really, it's tragic, it's, 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 it's heartbreaking, it's, it's, it's disappointing, but here's the deal. God was still able to work even in this situation. Even in a difficult situation when things seem hopeless, God was still able to work. Even though this sin was accomplished by the will of men, it was going to be used for the glory of God. And those involved, there was no way they could see how things were going to play out in that day and in our day a few thousand years later. They had no idea, but God did. God saw it all. He's El Roy. He's the one who sees, as Hagar tells us. And here's the deal. Nothing, even our sins, catches God by surprise. When we go to God with our sin, he's not sitting up there going, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't see that coming. Right? He knows. Take it to him. Confess it. Repent of it. 
Maybe some of you are there out there this morning and, and you've never been baptized into him and, 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 and you need to do that. You've never confessed your sins to him. You've never confessed him to others. You've never repented of your sins. You've never been baptized. Maybe you want to do that today. You text uh, to our church connection number. If, you, if it's not something you want to do publicly today, but you want to talk to someone after the service or this week, would you text READY? to our church connection number, whether you're here in the service or you're watching online either way. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you're here and you want to make a public decision today. Maybe it's a first-time decision. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some stuff that you're just having a hard time overcoming and you want some prayer warriors to gather around you and lift you up in, in prayer. God is never surprised by our sin and you need to understand that he can take the worst of failures and he can use them for his glory. Don't ever forget that. Now that's not an excuse for evil, right? But it's a reason to get up and go on after we fall. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and... Um, You know, maybe some of you are, maybe some of you feel like Hagar this morning and you feel like maybe, um, maybe you're running from your sin. Not really running from your sin, you're, you're good with your sin, you're running from God. And maybe some of you need to run to God today. Maybe, like I said, maybe some of you are just struggling with some things you need some people to pray with you about. Maybe you want to become a part of our church family. You just need a, a clan, a family to belong to. We'd love to be that family for you. I'm going to pray with you, and if you have a, a decision that you need to make, or if you want to talk to someone after the service, we, uh, we encourage you to, to do that today. Let's, let's bow together.